that our Redeemer lives has changed the course of humanity. Amen? And it's made all the difference in our lives. The last session on the last morning of a two-week seminar on Greek culture, professor stood up and he turned and he made this gesture and he said, are there any questions? And he was greeted with silence and these two weeks had generated enough questions for a lifetime, but for now, there's only silence. We've all been there. We want to ask a question, but we're still soaking it in, so we just don't know what to say at that time. And so the professor said, no questions? And then with his eyes, he's just looking over the audience. And again, he says, no questions? And alas, from the back row... Guy raised his hand and said, Professor, I have a question. He said, What's your question? He said, What is the meaning of life? The professor just looked at him, just kind of stared at him, like, What kind of question is that? And then he kind of stood back and he laughed, and the people kind of started stirring, and I thought, Well, he's not going to answer the question, so it's time for us to leave and then he held his hand up and he got the room still again and he looked at the man who asked the question for a long period of time and he said I'm going to answer your question then he reached in his back pocket and he took out his wallet and he fished into the wallet and he brought out a very small round mirror about the size of a quarter and here's what he said he said, when I was a small child during the war, we were very poor, and we lived in a remote village. And he said, one day on the road, I found broken pieces of a mirror. And he said, a German motorcycle had been wrecked in that place. And he said, I searched, and he said, I tried to find all the pieces and put them back together, but it was not possible. So I kept only the largest piece, and it was this one. And he said, by scratching it on a stone, I made it round. And I made it look the way that it does now. And he said, I began to play with it as a toy and became so fascinated by the fact that I could reflect light into dark places where the sun would never shine into deep holes and crevices and dark closets. He said, it became a game for me to get light into the most inaccessible places I could find and he said so I kept the little mirror as I went through life and he said I would take it out in idle moments and I would continue the challenge of the game and he said as I became a man he said I grew to understand that this was not just a child's game but it was a metaphor for what I might do with my life and I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of light he said I am only a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know but he said nevertheless with what I have I can reflect light into the dark places of this world into black places in the hearts of men and change some things and some people 
and perhaps others may see and do likewise. And he said, that's what I'm about. And he said, and that, in my opinion, is the meaning of life. And then he took his small mirror and holding it carefully, he caught the bright rays of daylight streaming through the window and he slowly reflected them onto all that were in the room, just one by one. I invite you this morning to turn to Romans 8. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of something. As we saw last week, as Paul is teaching and preaching to this church in Rome, he recognized himself as a servant and as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he begins to tell a story and he begins to teach these people at Rome about life. And he begins to talk to them about the importance of living life, not just for ourselves, but living life for the one who gave us life. And so he begins to, to teach and he begins to help people understand that you came face to face with reality. And reality was this. You could not do enough good things to earn your salvation. You were not good enough to save yourself. And he begins to talk about at just the right time, we were powerless. And Christ died for us. He reminded the people all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And you see, the problem as we, as we look in different places with Paul's writing, Paul's not down on the law, but you know what the problem was with the law? Mankind could not keep it. And because mankind could not keep it, God had to step in once again and he had to do something so that we could be okay. And he said, I'm going to give you my son, who's the source of light. I'm going to give you my son, who will be the source of power every day of your life. And it's so powerful, it's going to be all the power that you need to conquer life. And he gave us that. But you see, he had to give up his best for us. Because the only way that we could escape, the only way that we could come out on the winning side was for Jesus to go to the cross and die for us. And so at just the right time, God stepped in and he did something for us that we could not do on our own. You see, we live in a world today where we love athletic events and we love to keep score and we love to know what the score is. And so we live in a time today where we can look on our apps and we can look on TV and read in the paper and we can see what the score was on all the games of anything that had been played. And so we can tell who won, we can tell who lost, we can tell how close it is, we can tell all of that. And so when you look here in Romans, it's as if God is saying the score has been settled. 
And you don't have to worry about if you're on the winning side or not because the score has been settled and you who are in Christ are more than conquerors. You are victorious through Christ. The score has been settled. And so that's good news for us. And so because the score has been settled, guess what? We win. And we only win because God wins. And so through life, Paul continues to stretch this out. And he goes, you're not controlled by the sinful nature, so quit trying to live life that way. The score was settled so you could live life according to the Spirit of God who now lives within you. And so now that you have that Spirit, what Paul says to the people then and what we have to understand today is we need to be led and we need to be controlled by the Spirit of the living God. And when we are controlled by the Spirit of the living God, wonderful and beautiful things are going to take place in our life. Now, what did we do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. But we just finished raising our voices and singing one of my favorite songs right now, Had It Not Been the Lord Who Was on Our Side. Did you hear the message in that song? If the Lord had not been on our side, man, the enemies, I mean the anger of the enemies would have swallowed us alive. But because the Lord was on our side, we can live. And we can live victorious. And so listen to the rest of this story from last week. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge? against those whom God has chosen, it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see Paul's response to this? Paul's response provides, I think, one of the grandest passages on Christian assurances in the Bible. I mean, here are some things that Paul goes over, and here he's saying, here you can be sure of this. You can rest assured of this, and you can rest assured of that. Man, those are great assurances that we put our hope and our trust and our faith in every day. And so when you stop and look at that, my question is this. Could anything be a stronger encouragement to faith than the unalterable evidence of what God has already done for the salvation of his people in faith. Could there be any more evidence other than what has already been done? And so go on to say this. God is the sovereign Lord. And there in verse 28 When he says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. That is Paul describing the sovereignty of God. That is Paul helping us again be reminded that God is for us. That God is on our side. And so whatever happens, listen to this, whatever happens... We have to trust that it is for our good. Well, now, what if it's something not so good, preacher? What if it's something that we look at and say, this is bad? That's the age-old question that everybody likes to ask. I'm a firm believer that the sovereign hand of God is for us. And so therefore, even if something bad comes our way, God can turn it into something good. And as people of faith, that may be hard to understand, it may be hard to accept, but it is something as God's people that we have to believe. You know, there's a lot of things that we believe as Christians that don't make a lot of sense, right? But we still believe it because we realize God's in control. God's in charge. And so I've got to believe that God's loving hand is reaching out to me. That God's loving hand, even if it's a terrible situation, that the sovereign hand of God is still in control. And church, here's the way. Here's the deal. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. And you know what? That's not for us to understand how all of that works as much as it is for us to say, okay, I'm going to believe that. Have you ever come face to face with something in life where you just have to say, I don't like it, it doesn't look good, but I need to be okay because I'm going to trust God that he's going to work it all out 
in his own time. It takes a strong, strong faith to be able to do that. It takes a strong, strong faith in certain circumstances to come to that point. But could there be any more evidence for the salvation of his people other than what he's already done for us? That's evidence enough, isn't it? And so here's what Paul does in Romans 8. He uses a courtroom analogy, and he asks this question in verse 33, who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? And he then stresses what Jesus did for us. And in my imagination, a couple of things I see here. First of all, I see Satan standing before the throne of God, and I see him listing the sins and all the shortcomings of God's people. Because that's what Satan does best. And I mean, he's the chief of it, isn't he? I mean, he is good at it. And he does it in such a way that he wants us to believe that he's going to have the last word. But you know what? As people who have been redeemed, we realize Satan never gets the last word. God does. We've got to cling to that. And so in that courtroom... I see Satan standing there, all these accusations and all of these things. Look at what this person has done. What are you going to do now? But then, I see Jesus. And when I see Jesus, I see him coming up to our side and placing his hand on our shoulders, saying, this is mine. This is my child. I paid the price for their sins, and they've been washed in my blood, and there's nothing that you can do to erase that. I see Jesus being our advocate. I see Jesus coming to us and saying, He is mine, or she is mine, because again, from last week, when we take on sonship, when we take that on as children of God, that is a point where we can cry out to our Father, Abba Father, which means Daddy. We cry out to Him in the most loving and tender way that we know how. And when we do that, what does He do? He comes to our side. And with His Son Jesus there, with His arms around us, he says, this is my child. You see, church, to be a child of the King of Kings is the most precious thing to do and to be on earth. Because not just once and twice, but every day of life, we have the advocate that's standing before us and saying, this is my child. I paid the penalty. And so then I see Satan again walking away, head down, just like you would in a normal courtroom with whoever's on the losing side. The person on the losing side in the courtroom never walks out victorious, do they? They never walk out clapping and cheering. 
do they? They walk out with their heads down, slumped over, and this is what I picture Satan, and he's defeated because Jesus is willing to intercede for us. How great it is to realize on a spiritual level we have the best defense in the world, Jesus Christ pleading for us. Why? Just because he loved us. And that right there is enough. Amen? Just because. Somebody ever asks you something and you just want to say, just because? This is it. Just because. Why did he go to the cross? Why did he die for me? Just because he loved you. Didn't have to, but he was willing. Praise God that he was willing. Praise God that he looked at his father and said, not my will, but yours be done. And he continued on the journey to the cross. And so, the judge himself declares the accused person righteous on the basis of his faith in Jesus Christ. Look back in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we've been justified, we now have peace. And here's the good news. When the sentence came down, the decision stood forever because our justifier is the ultimate authority in the universe. He is the supreme and the universal judge. And so the one whose law we had violated, whose displeasure we had excited, and whose curse we had incurred, he has now justified us. He stood in our place. And he took care of what we couldn't take care of anymore. God, the supreme judge, decided with our advocate Jesus that we were justified by his life and his death. And that right there makes us good enough. The score has been settled. And so here's the good news that I want you to take away today. God has not given us empty promises. I mean, Romans 8 is full of a lot of assurances that we need to cling to. He hasn't given us empty promises. Our advocate paid the debt for our sins with his blood. And that right there settled the score. And so in Romans chapter 8, at the very beginning of this chapter, here's what Paul says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So I wonder this morning, 
Are you, in the life that you're living right now, are you being controlled by the Spirit of God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being on our side. We thank you, Father, that you saw fit in your plan at just the right time to send us Jesus. And Father, there are so many times in our walk with you where we feel the tug of Satan on our heart. And where he tries to remind us that we're not good enough, that we've messed up, that we've sinned, he puts all of those thoughts in our heart and in our minds. And Father, I pray that we can realize because we are in you, we're more than conquerors. Father, help us to get a clearer picture of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. And Father, I pray at those moments in our life where we see Satan at work, that we can see your Son more clear. Thank you for sending your Son to us, Father. Thank you for Jesus being the advocate and interceding for us at just the right time. Bless us as we strive to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand right now. We're going to sing a song. Some of you may have been putting off making the decision to be buried with Christ in baptism, to begin that walk, to make him the Lord of your life. If you want to talk about that or if you're ready to do that, leaders will be here this morning to talk to you about that. But maybe you're here this morning and you feel the weight of life. You feel the pressure. You hear the voice of Satan talking and saying things to you that you know is not true, but it's still there. May we hear the voice of Jesus even louder. Because it's at that time when we hear his voice, we are reminded once again, God is for us. God is on our side. Let's stand as we sing this song.